and, and kids. Well, Merry Christmas, a day late. Um, it's a real honor to get to speak to you the day after Christmas. Um, I hope you all had um, a great holiday um, in whatever way you celebrated it. Um, as Pastor Chuck mentioned earlier, um, we're going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday doing a short little mini-series in Song of Songs. Uh, we just spent the fall in Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs comes right after it in your Bible. And they're kind of sister books. So while we have a couple Sundays at the end of the year here, it just made sense to come and cover this book really quickly. So I imagine when it comes to thinking about the Song of Songs, the majority of us fall, I'm guessing, into one of three groups. In the first place, Maybe uh, you have never heard of Song of Songs, or you just vaguely know it as a book in the Old Testament, or you thought, I thought that was called Song of Solomon. Um, if that's the case, you're in the right place, totally fine. Some of us, secondly, have maybe grown up in the church and have thought of Song of Songs as kind of the R-rated book of the Bible. <laughs> about marriage and sex, and it's only for married people. And you may be wondering, why on earth are we spending a Sunday morning talking about it? Uh, especially from a single man. <laughs> Third, maybe you know the Song of Songs as an Old Testament book about marriage and romance that has famously strange imagery and poetry in it, like a groom complimenting his bride by comparing her hair to a flock of goats and her teeth to sheep. Remember, this was written over 2,000 years ago. Regardless of where you're at, what's clear is that a lot of us uh, are not completely sure what to do with this book of the Bible. Um, it's kind of hard to see how a book of ancient love poetry fits into the story between Genesis and Revelation. Song of Songs is one of the least read and least preached books in the modern church. And our conviction is just that that should not be the case. For, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is God-breathed, given to us to teach us and train us in righteousness. So just for the sake of understanding what this book is and what it's doing in the Bible, we're going to spend these two weeks sort of covering the major themes of Song of Songs. So we won't be able to cover it in a verse-by-verse -verse sort of way like we did with Ecclesiastes this fall, but my goal, my hope, is that we'll walk away from these two sermons understanding what the book is and how it has to do with the gospel. How does this fit in to the biblical story? So just to give us an outline at the start here, we're going to do it in three parts. It's confusing because there's two Sundays, but we'll do two of them today. The first, we're just going to answer what is Song of Songs. We'll define the book. Second, we're going to talk about two major themes, and we'll cover the first one this week. And that theme is that God redeems desire. God redeems desire. That'll be this week. And then next week, we'll look at the theme, um, Godly Love Desires Union with One's Beloved. So those will be the two major themes we look at in this book, desire and union, as the two sort of major themes that Song of Songs talks to us about. Sound good? So first, 
by way of defining this book and just introducing, for, for those of us who've never heard what it is, Song of Songs is an Old Testament book and it belongs to the wisdom literature. Uh, other wisdom books are like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Um, mentioned before, it's kind of a sister book to Ecclesiastes. J- just like Ecclesiastes, which we just spent the fall in, um, the book is connected in some way to Solomon, um, King Solomon, but just like Ecclesiastes, it doesn't actually say whether or not Solomon wrote this book. Maybe he did, uh, or maybe it's just associated with him. Uh, That's why it's called Song of Solomon sometimes. Um, But Song of Songs just is a Hebrew way of saying the greatest of all songs. The the greatest song. Unlike Ecclesiastes, though, we we found out this fall, Ecclesiastes is a very... uh, slow, make you slow down and think hard about life book. But Song of Songs is a very fast-paced song. It's very, uh, it's actually one of the most joyful toned books of the Bible. It's very celebratory. It's full of imageries of fruit and flowers and beauty and springtime and summer. That's sort of the flavor of Song of Songs. But what, what is it? If, if we crack open Song of Songs, what are we going to find? Song of Songs is a series of love poems that celebrate God's design for love, marriage, and sex. It's part of why it's such an important book for us to cover today. Um, there is so much confusion in the world about love, marriage, and sex. And like we said, it, it's, it's a wisdom literature book. The, the wisdom books of the Bible are books intended to show us um, God's way for a flourishing life for his people. So the wisdom books like Proverbs cover the topics of everyday life, like money or death or sickness or suffering or parenting or here, love and marriage and sex. But unlike Proverbs, Song of Songs is not teaching us in any sort of orthodox way. If we crack open this book, uh, you'll not find teaching or definitions of love You'll not find arguments, but you'll find poems that illustrate what love looks like, what it feels like. You'll find poems all written in the voice of uh, these two characters, the groom and the bride, this couple. Almost the entire book is in their voice as they speak to each other, and they express their affection and desire for one another as they join in marriage and they consummate their relationship. If we want to get technical... Song of Songs is what's called lyric poetry. All that means, what lyric poetry means, is that the primary goal of this type of literature, it's not necessarily to tell a story or teach a lesson, but what this writing is meant to do is convey the thoughts and emotions and desires and affections of the speaker to the reader. Uh, For these poems to be lyrical means they show us what's going on in the hearts of these two people in love. So think of how much of relationships, uh, romantic or otherwise, are built around trying to figure out what's going on in somebody else's head. Um, That's what this book is doing. It's laying bare the hearts of two people in love. We note that because that's one of the unique things about Song of Songs that not a lot of other books in Scripture do so focally. That's one of the unique things about Song of Songs. And and that's actually the way it teaches us wisdom. It gives us an example. It illustrates love. 
So the primary audience of Song of Songs is actually unmarried people, people, people who haven't been in love before. We know this because there's a chorus throughout the book where the bride talks to the daughters of Jerusalem or, or young unmarried women. So it's sort of like how Proverbs is like a father written to a, his son and it applies to all of us. Song of Songs is a bride talking to her unmarried friends, but it has uh, application for all of us. So the bride and the groom in Song of Songs illustrate what it looks like to fall in love in a good, wise, and godly way. Rather than give us a list of all the things not to do, this book is a positive picture. It shows us what love and sexuality should look like and how they're good things. Not so much focusing on the exterior things. This book is not so much um, a dating guide or a honeymoon guide. It's more internal. It shows us what the heart of a godly relationship looks like. So this book benefits people who are married, too. It gives an ideal of love to aspire to. So we see things through this couple's eyes. They model for us uh, two people mutually enraptured with one another. So they're kind of like the exemplary couple. Uh, all that means is they are like the, the example. And, and the idea is not so much that these are a real couple in history who got everything right and they uh, had the perfect relationship, but they're kind of poetic characters who just show us these ideals of, of love and sexuality. So it's, they, it's not that they're perfect or super attractive or they're the best bride and groom that ever existed, but it's showing that when you see a beloved bride or a beloved groom through the eyes of his or her spouse, you see how beautiful they become in the context of that relationship. They're not supposed to be supermodels that set a standard we can't live up to. The point is that true love leads you to see your beloved as beautiful. When you love someone, the whole world looks like springtime around them. And that's kind of where the imagery of Song of Songs comes from. So that brings us to address uh, the point that maybe Song of Songs is, is this like the R-rated book of the Bible that only married people should read. The, the problem with that idea of this book is that it's actually not mainly about sex. Song of Songs does deal with sex, and it has a lot to teach us about it, but Song of Songs is most fundamentally a book about love, about the desire for union that two people feel for each other. Another way of putting that is to say, sex is only one part of the picture of Song of Songs. Sex is important because it's an expression of something more fundamental, marital love. That's what this book is really about, marital love. And, and, and that's actually what sex is. Sex is an expression of marriage. In God's good design, sex is merely an expression of marriage. So that's one of the most radical things Song of Songs teaches us and why it's so timely today because on the one hand, it teaches us that in God's good creation, sex is not inherently dirty or worldly or less than. It's actually a gift from God. And so it kind of pushes back on a, 
any Victorian sensibilities we might have that says sex is taboo or should never be talked about. But on the other hand, it pushes back in the other direction in our culture's tendency to be obsessed with sex. It tells us sex is not everything. Our culture believes sex is the foundation of love and happiness. But Song of Songs disagrees. When we read Song of Songs, we see the couple in the book love each other in very physical terms. There's no shame or shyness or inhibition in their physical relationship. They enjoy one another emotionally and physically, and yet the Song of Songs is not ever sexually explicit or pornographic. It's our culture has a hard time finding that middle ground between something being celebrated and not obsessed over. But that's where Song of Songs is so helpful for us. So this is crucial. It means we don't read this book looking for innuendos in every metaphor. That's not what this book is doing. It's intentionally vague about the act of sex. And the point is that sex is a good gift of God, but it is private. And that is God's intention for it. So to kind of summarize our definition of the book, Song of Songs is a book of love poems that illustrate God's ideal picture of love and sexuality. It shows us this through two characters, the bride and the groom, whom the book follows as they desire, seek after, and embrace one another. While the book deals with the topic of sex, it's most fundamentally meant to give us an animated example of what a loving relationship is like physically, yes, but also emotionally, relationally, spiritually. So simply put, Song of Songs is a book about love, and marriage is one of the most robust forms of love humans can experience. So that's an overview 10,000 feet of what this book is. So we still want to answer, why is this book in the Bible? How is this a Christian book of Scripture? There are two main things we're going to say in answer to that. First, Song of Songs obviously teaches us about human love. God created each of and every one of us to glorify him with our whole being. When Christ saves you or me, he redeems all of us. And that includes your heart. That includes your sexuality, your body, and your relationships. So for a Christian to learn to love, marry, and order our sexuality in a godly way, that's a way that Christians live out the implications of the gospel. But secondly, Song of Songs has much to teach us about God's love. Song of Songs' portrayal of love sheds light on the love that God has for us. Pausing there, that may sound very strange to say that God's love for us is anything like marital love in Song of Songs. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. But for right now, we'll just say, remember how often the Bible describes God's relationship with his people as a marriage or calls the church Christ's bride. The point's not that God's love for us is sexual or anything like that. But it is to say God desires us. God feels desire and jealousy for his people. And God draws his people into union with him. These are, these are major themes of the gospel that Song of Songs is talking about in many ways. 
Again, I know maybe that sounds strange, but we'll come back to that and unpack that more. So this week we mentioned what the theme we're covering is desire in the book of Song of Songs. The Song of Songs is a song of longing, a song of desire. So from beginning to end, desire shows up everywhere in the Song of Songs. Maybe desire sounds like an inherently bad word, uh, but Song of Songs shows us how it can be a good thing, how it's an aspect of godly love. So the book, it, in the relationship with the bride and groom in Song of Songs, the book mostly focuses on the couple expressing their attraction and desire for one another, their, their plans to be together. From the very first line of the poem in Song of Songs 1, verse 4, the bride calls to her husband, draw me after you, let's run. Calling to him a little later, asking where she can find him. And that, that sets the tone for the rest of the book. It's this song of these two people in love calling out to each other. Or, or the groom says later um, in Song of Songs 2, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. That's the sort of conversation happening throughout this book. So the Song of Songs takes us through these cycles of these characters expressing their love and desire to be together, their captivation with one another, and shows them lament being apart, longing and seeking out after one another. And then as soon as they come together, uh, the camera tastefully pans away and shifts to another scene as they consummate their relationship. So we've been at 10,000 feet for a while. Let's look at one text in Song of Songs, one of the poems in this book, and see how this unfolds. So if you want to turn with me to Song of Songs chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, let's see how this pattern unfolds in the book. So this is one of the poems in the book. It's all in the voice of the bride. Um, sometimes your header might say that the bride's dream, it, it's, a, it's a strange scene, but remember, and this helps us ha learn how to read this type of book, the point is not that it's telling a story of something that happened. This scene we're about to see, this dream or event, is all an expression of the bride's desire, of her heart. So let's read Song of Songs 3, 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. The bride says, On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So just to recap what that scene is, we see the bride waking up and realizing her beloved is gone. And she is lamenting because she longs to be with him. So she resolves to go find him. Uh, 
very determinatively. She gets up and starts searching for him, running around the city streets at night, calling for him. Um, she gets stopped by the night watch, who are very suspicious of her in an ancient city. A woman running around by herself in the middle of the night would be very suspicious. Um, but she beats them to the punch uh, before they can interrogate her. And before they can ask a question, she says, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Um, have you seen my man? And she brushes past them and finally finds him whom her soul loves and grabs him and will not let him go and brings him back where they began um, in the, the bedroom. What does this poem teach us about godly love? What about this scene is wisdom? What about this is something we should try to emulate? Well, the first thing to note is the, the kind of love we're talking about. This scene may seem strange, but, but think of what she calls her beloved four times in this short poem. Him whom my soul loves. Deep, committed love is the proper foundation of desire. In the Bible, especially when you see it in the Old Testament, the word soul is a way of referring to your whole being. Your heart, your mind, your appetites, your desires, your body, everything. Him whom my soul loves tells us about the nature of their love. On the one hand, it speaks to the degree of love. There, there is an aspect of sexual desire here, but it's something more than that. This is the bride fully desiring this man, fully longing after the whole person, his heart, his mind, his soul. Him whom my soul love also speaks to the exclusivity of her love. This is not a picture of her idolizing him, or saying, um, you need a man to be your savior, or anything like that. It's simply the picture of an exclusive, monogamous relationship. And uh, some, something to help bring this out, we can look at a text that's kind of parallel to this in Proverbs. Um, Song of Songs 3 uh, confuses Bible commentators sometimes. God bless them. They get confused because the woman... In Song of Songs, her behavior looks a disturbing amount like the character in Proverbs, the adulteress. Um, the adulteress in Proverbs 7 is a um, personification of sexual sin. This is what Proverbs 7 says about her. She is dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. That's what we just saw the woman do, run out of her home. Uh, now in the street, now in the market. Again, the bride was just running through the street and the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait, prowling for um, a man. So both Proverbs 7 and Song of Songs describe a woman leaving her home in the middle of the night, searching after a man. Why is it good when the bride does it, but bad when the adulteress does it? So the, the point is, this isn't a contradiction in two texts of Scripture, but the difference is in the, the bride in Song of Songs isn't prowling about for any man. She's not on the hunt for um, a one-night stand. She's seeking very determinedly after one person, 
after him whom her soul loves. Take, Take note of this. We live in a culture that tells us that our sexual desires are all about me, are all about us. That teaches sex is created, sex exists to express yourself, to express your identity, to experience pleasure, and to find your own self-satisfaction. But sexuality in Song of Songs is not like that. It's relational, it's for the other person, and it involves a full being sort of love. This is the type of desire that leads the woman to seek zealously after her beloved. That leads her to put herself at risk, even venturing out in the night after him. The, the point of the watchman is to say, she looks like a fool to the world, in a way, to society. But in the context of her relationship, that sort of desire and seeking makes perfect sense. It's the sensible thing to do. True wisdom often looks like folly at face value. Godly love looks scandalous to those who don't understand it. But lest we confuse godly desire of Song of Songs with actual folly, the woman sort of turns to face the camera in verse 5 and gives us a, a piece of teaching. One of the, one of the times she, she turns and speaks to us directly and says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or does of the field, that you not stir up love until it pleases. This is that chorus. It shows up like four times in Song of Songs. The bride is addressing us and saying, swear to me, promise me, you will not rush into sexual love or marital love before the time is right. Just as love is powerful, just as it's joyous in Song of Songs, just as it kindles this fire of desire, Love is also dangerous when misused. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Don't play with fire. Love is beautiful, but it's weighty. Don't blunder about after cheap imitations of true love. For us, we can name just a couple ways that might bear itself out. Idolizing romance or, or, or marriage or sexual love in a way that you can't be content without it is a way of stirring up love before it's ready. Rushing into unhealthy levels of emotional attachment too soon is stirring up love before it's ready. Casual sex and pornography are sinful awakenings of love and sexual desire. We talked about there's this cycle in Song of Songs, this rhythm of how love plays out. And, and these things that we might fall into profane and cheapen the joy God has designed for marriage. The fact that Song of Songs places this great emphasis on desire and longing and waiting, it tells us something crucial about love itself. Not only is it right to wait until love is ready. It's good. God gives us commands 
and it, it is our joy to obey them. But further, it's good for us to obey them. The nature of love is that it has this period of waiting and longing and desire built into it. It's good. So we, we often talk about all that the Bible prohibits with regard to sex, which is right. What God calls sin, we must avoid. But for every behavior that Scripture prohibits, there is a better alternative with it, a better way to life and joy, a wiser lifestyle. And that's what Song of Songs is doing with love and sexuality. It's showing us the goodness of it, of waiting That's the rhythm of longing and seeking and finding in Song of Songs. It, it's here in chapter three, one through five. We could read other poems in the book and it, 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 it cycles through over and over again. It, isn't that true of how people fall in love? There, there begins with an attraction, this kind of magnetic pull to one another and a prolonged dance of meeting together and going apart and while two lovers are apart, they feel longing and desire for one another, and marriage for a man and woman is the final coming together. That, that's sort of symbolically what the bride walking down the aisle means for us. That's why that's such a big moment, where what has been separate and waiting and longing for so long is finally united. And ultimately, sex is the expression of that final union. That's why we said sex is an expression of marriage, of the union of God bringing two people together. And we degrade love by disrupting the process, by awakening love before it's ready. Love is characterized by desire. But godly desire is patient. It's ardent, as we saw in the woman zealously seeking after her beloved, but it is faithful, focused, faithful, not uncontrollable or crass or self-centered. Love is characterized by this good, selfless desire. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word desire. We, we talked about this earlier. Desire is often almost a a four-letter word in Christian circles sometimes because it almost, it's so often used to refer to sinful desires. James chapter 1 talks about desire in this way. He, James says desire is the reason why we sin. So he says in James chapter 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. In other words, we sin when we desire evil things, when we desire our own good over those, that of others, or we desire ourselves above God. See, what, what desire is, desire is like the arm of your heart. Desire is how you reach out for what you love, how you seek what you love. If you love something, church, you desire it. And if you desire it, you will reach out for it. So ask yourself, what do I most desire? 
What do I find myself wanting most? And what does that say about what you most love? In our sinful nature, by nature, we desire sinful things. Broken desire, sin, fractures our relationship with God. It brings spiritual death, like James once said. And sinful desire fractures our human relationships, too. This, this is where we start to fit Song of Songs into the big story of the Bible. The first time the word desire shows up in the Old Testament is in Genesis 3, in the curse God puts on Adam and Eve after they sin. So speaking to Eve, God says after they've sinned, he says, as a result of your sin, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Broken desire breaks relational harmony. And, and we know the long, painful history of strife between men and women that follows Genesis 3. We know the painful reality that our sinful desires, our self-word bent, turn God's good design for harmony between a man and a woman into a power struggle, into discord. But that's not the end of the story. See, the, the, the Hebrew word for desire shows up twice in Genesis, one in the verse we just read, and it shows up one other time in the Old Testament. Guess where it is? It's in Song of Songs. Song of Songs 7.10, the bride joyfully declares, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. His desire is for me. Rather than their sins setting desire contrary to one another so that they're at odds with one another, the couple in Song of Songs mutually belong to each other. The man's desire is no longer against his wife, but for her. This is that selfless desire, that goodwill we're talking about in Song of Songs. If you read Song of Songs beginning to end, you'll see this sort of good desire. The bride delights to be with her husband, to follow him, to give herself to him. The groom knows his wife intuitively and he desires her well-being. His desire is for her. So that, that's part of the way Song of Songs speaks to the development of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. It gives us a foreshadowing of how God redeems our hearts how God redeems our desires after the fall. Church, God has made us to be creatures who desire and seek after what we love. But sinners only really desire their own good. And Song of Songs foreshadows redeemed desire. The picture in Song of Songs is a desire that's been lifted back up after the fall. Godly love is characterized by redeemed desire. That's the theme we're covering today. Godly love is characterized by redeemed desire. So, if you are to read this book, if you're married, this book models the way your heart ought to be postured towards your spouse the desire and captivation you should cultivate 
for him or her by virtue of your commitment to one another, by virtue of the, the belonging to one another that you've committed to have. This desire is more than just sexual desire. It colors your whole relationship, how you speak to one another. Most of Song of Songs is speaking, the sort of kindness you show in a 90-second phone call or the first words in the morning or before bed. Behold your bride, behold your groom, and seek after your spouse in your heart. Let your desire be for them. If you are married, I can imagine the Song of Songs has a sort of fairy tale feel to it. Like it feels like these poems are all about the honeymoon phase. And we know the day-to-day, the year-to-year reality of any relationship, um, especially marriage, is far more complicated than that. And if you're single, this may all sound well and good, but it feels distant and abstract. Or maybe it feels frustrating from years of desiring to experience this kind of love when God has not brought it about in your life. Church, we all want to be known and loved. We all want to be longed for, but not idolized. To be cherished, but not used. Who is able to love you like the bride and the groom love each other in Song of Songs? Who loves like that? The truth is, no one really does, all the time at least. Song of Songs, remember we said this couple is the exemplary couple, the the poetic ideal. But who fulfills that all the time? Song of Songs presents a picture of redeemed desire and love that none of us can fulfill. None of us can perfectly desire for somebody. Redeemed desire, well, if we read Song of Songs as a call to just try harder, to love better, to be like the bride and groom, it will only lead us to fail and to despair. Redeemed desire is not something we can manufacture. It's not something uh, we can make on our own. It's something given by God. We can only model Redeemed desire if God's own love is poured into our hearts, like Romans 5.5 5 says. Because only God loves purely. Only God is wholly good in his desire. That's the love God has for us. We mentioned this earlier, and maybe it sounds strange to say that God loves us in a way anything like the love that Song of Songs talks about. But to say God desires us is just to say God has made a commitment to us out of deep love for us. It means that when God's people sinned, God longs to restore them, to restore the relationship. It means God does not sit idly by, but his desire impels him to seek his people out, to pursue them, even through the city in the night. Friends, if you are in Christ, 
It's because God feels desire for you. It's because God is jealous for you. It's because God knows you, cherishes you, sacrifices for you, clings to you, because his desire is for you. This isn't to reduce God's love to something sentimental or hallmarky. It isn't to say, on the other hand, that God's love for us is sexual in any physical way. Not, not at all. Instead, it's to say that sex and marital love, like Song of Songs present, point to something greater. Point to a greater form of desire, a greater type of desire. And that desire is the love that Jesus Christ has for his bride, the church. The desire Jesus had, the love that led him to come to earth as a man, to suffer, to die, for the sake of purifying his bride, and presenting her blameless. No one loves you like Jesus. No one can love you like Jesus. No one. He is the perfect example of redeemed good desire, the perfect example of love. Our sexual and marital desires will not be redeemed until we desire Christ first. So, we read Song of Songs to lead us to cultivate a longing for Jesus. Longing, that's exactly how the New Testament talks about pursuing Christ, desiring him. So think about how the New Testament talks about seeking and desiring Christ. Think, Think of, in our text today, the bride who ventured out of her home, left everything behind into the dangers of the night to seek her beloved. Isn't that reminiscent of how Jesus calls disciples to abandon their nets, abandon everything, to follow him. And just as the watchman thought the bride's desire was suspicious and scandalous, the gospel, Paul says, is the foolishness and scandal of the world, but the wisdom of God. Think of how the bride would not rest until she found her beloved and then clung to him and would not let him go. And in light of that, think of all the scriptures say about clinging to Christ amid trials, about running the race, about waiting until the day when our faith is made sight, until the desire is satisfied and we are with Christ. And just like the bride warned us not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases, are we not called not to flirt with any other gospel but that of Jesus, to wait patiently and faithfully for the return of him whom our soul loves. When we play it like this, the Song of Songs is a theme song for love that surpasses even the joys of marriage and sexuality. The lyrics of Song of Songs are about marital love and desire because sex is a great gift from God, marriage is a great gift from God, but it is not an ultimate gift. And insofar as it's good, it points to something better. The song lyrics point to something beyond sex, beyond human love. And what it comes down to is this. God calls us to do more than merely accept the gospel as a 
fact. More than simply acknowledge that Jesus is a savior is the savior you need in some abstract sense. Further than that, God calls us to desire him, to love him. And Song of Songs shows us what it means to desire what you love. So so the link between marital love and gospel love is desire and union. And we'll talk more about union next week. But that's why Song of Songs is in the Bible. In the first case, to model the goodness of human marriage and sexuality. And through that, secondly, to tune our hearts to sing God's praise and to desire him with our whole souls. The Song of Songs is about love, and love is characterized by redeemed desire. And redeemed desire only comes from God. Let's pray now that God would kindle that sort of redeemed desire in our hearts. Father God, we thank you for all that you have shown us in Scripture. The truths you've revealed, the wisdom you've taught us, and the great songs of love and desire. You pull our broken desire up and redeem it. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would model godly love, desire for the other. I pray that we would model that in our, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships. And most of all, Father, that we would desire you above all else. It's in your son's name we pray.